Uh, as Pastor Scott said, we're continuing on in, in our study of chapter 5 of Ephesians today. Uh, as we see Paul continue on with this instruction to his people on how we should live as Christians. How we should live as wise and not unwise. And, and he uses these next verses to draw a distinction between living the life uh, in an unwise or foolish manner and living life wisely. And what that looks like in the life of a Christian. And perhaps you're like me, that whenever you, you hear that word wise or you think about wisdom, you go back to Proverbs. And you think about those verses, and, and particularly, uh, probably the most well-known is Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We think about the wise life. Or in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as we think about this wise life, we think about what does that look like? Well, obviously, we see where Paul is headed here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This wise life is one that has lived in that place and in that moment and that understanding of the fear of God and seeking His wisdom. And, and now we know that, that this is not a fear of, of I'm cowering before the Lord as a, as a puppy who's just been disciplined or as a, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a scared child, but this is a fear that means reverence. A fear that means uh, that I'm looking to God and living under Him in a place of respect for who He is, reverence for His sovereignty, and obedience to follow His will. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The foolish despise wisdom and instruction. We begin to see where Paul is headed with this wise living. And then Paul begins this section in verse 15 by saying, Look carefully, then, how you walk. A more literal translation of that would be to say, Take heed how accurately you walk. Take heed how accurately you walk. And we know that, that when Paul is speaking of walking, he's not talking about just strolling down the road, but the idea being how we live our lives and every aspect of who we are, how we walk out, how we live out our Christian life and our Christian service to the Father. And so he says, look carefully. Take heed of how accurately you walk with the Father. So then look carefully at how you are living as a believer, as a Christian. How accurately you're living within the will and the commands that God gives you. Not as unwise, such as what he just got done describing in, in the previous verses that Pastor Scott taught on last week. But as wise, in fear and respect of God, His commands and His will in your life. Now I believe that right here there is a, a spiritual discipline, there is a practice that we should all have in our lives, that we should all be using in our lives. And that is the practice of a close inspection of our life, not through our eyes, through the eyes of our Father. To sit before the Lord in that quiet place, to sit before the Father in those quiet times of worship that you have with just you and Him, in those intimate moments, and to cry as the psalmist did, Search me, O God. Try my heart. Search my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous, any unwise, any sinful way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And we pray that prayer over the parts of our lives as we seek God's wisdom and how we are to live. Oh God, search me as a father. Search me as a husband. Search me as a parent, as a son or a daughter. Search me as an employee or as a student. Father, search me as a friend, as a neighbor, as an ambassador for your kingdom, as a torchbearer for the kingdom of Christ, as as a gospel representative, a light unto this world. Father, search me. Search my thoughts, Father. Search my my thought life. What are my dreams? Not necessarily what are my dreams when I'm sleeping, but what are the dreams that you have given me? And am I following those? Or what are the dreams that I'm pursuing? What are my hobbies? What are the things that I'm filling my life with? My, My entertainment choices. My social life. My social media life. My actions on the internet. The things I watch. The things I say. The things I participate in. Oh, Father, search me. Search every part of me and know me. Know my heart. Know my my intentions. Know what is driving me. And see if there be any deceitful, any unwise, any sinful, any way that brings you grief, any grievous way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What an amazing practice. And what an amazing Father that we have that He is willing to walk those roads with us. Father, come and, 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 and discipline me where necessary. Come and encourage me when you uh, see that I'm on the right path. This list goes on and on and on. But as children of God, we are called to walk in His light in all areas of our lives, from the most private to the most public, from the most mundane to the most magnificent, unto His glory. Father, come and search me and know me. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul continues on and he says that we should walk as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? What is, what is Paul going for here? One, one commentator, as, as I was reading, he, he said Paul is approaching this, or this idea that he's getting across is the idea of a shrewd businessman. And I thought, that's kind of a negative connotation towards Paul saying, make the best use of time. But, but as I read on, I think the idea is there, and I think the idea is right. Now, if you think about a shrewd businessman, be it someone you've experienced, or perhaps someone you saw in a movie, or, or something like that, how, how does he, that businessman live his life? Every moment that arises for him to better himself, every moment that arises for him to gain financially or to put himself in a better position to gain financially or to put himself in a better light with those he's trying to to impress or those he's trying to get into invest or whatever it might be, every opportunity he sees, he takes. He doesn't care who he steps on. He doesn't care what it costs others. He's going to work to better himself. As a Christian, as a believer... We are not called to do this at the cost of others, but we are called to take every opportunity that we can to better the position of the Father. We are called to take every opportunity that God gives us to to better the gospel, 
to do the kingdom work, to raise up the Father's glory that others may see and know, to let His light and His love shine brighter that others may be drawn unto Him. And we are to seize every opportunity as it arises. Just as the shrewd businessman sees something come in or something falls in his lap and he jumps on it, so we too as Christians are called to make the most of every moment, are called to seize those opportunities whether we see them coming and it's been a time of investment and prayer in the life of a neighbor or someone, a family member, or whatever that might be. Or it's a bumping into the, the register at, the, at Fry's and God opens a door. We seize those opportunities to better the position of the Father. To promote the position of the kingdom of God and to bring Him glory. We seize those opportunities Every morning, every morning we wake up to opportunity. Every morning we wake up to a day full of opportunities to give God praise and thanksgiving, to serve, to serve others as we serve Him, to live out the gospel in our own lives and to, to live it out into the lives of others, to disciple others to Christ. We have the opportunity, as our mission statement says here, to live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride, making use, the best use of our time. Paul says we do this because the days are evil. And Paul is reminding us and reminding the people in, in Ephesus and reminding us today of the urgency of those opportunities. The urgency of the gospel. The urgency of sharing the gospel with others. These evil days are the last days. Now, I'm not making any predictions of when Jesus is going to come back. I'm not saying that, that all these things are, are saying that He's coming tomorrow or anything like that. But church, every day, time runs out for some. When death comes knocking at their door. And they stand before the Father in judgment. Every day, people run out of time. Every day is someone's last day here on earth. And, yes, Christ is coming back. And that will be the final judgment. So in these last days, we must make use of every moment because it is urgent. It's urgent for that person whose last breath is the next one. And if they heard the gospel, have we done our part to share the light and love of Christ and to give them the opportunity to come to know Him? Their moments are running out to turn to the Father and receive the grace of the cross of Christ. The days are evil. So there's an urgency there that Paul is saying, take those moments, grab onto them, and utilize them for the kingdom. Therefore, Paul continues, because the days are evil, therefore, do not be foolish. Do not continue to pursue the things of the world. He just went through this list of, of things that Pastor Scott took us through last week and, and how the world... Uh, pursues those things, and it, and it may have looked a little bit different then than it does today, but the results are still the same. Do not turn back to the things of this world that you have been set free from. Do not be foolish, but rather instead understand what the will of the Lord is. Be wise. Live wisely in the fear of the Lord, in the respect and the obedience of Him. Understand His will in the life of the believer as a whole. But also, 
Understand His will for you. Understand what He is calling you to do as His son or daughter. Understand why He has given you the gifts that He's given you and what He has nurtured and cultivated in you and the relationships that He's given you, the neighbors He's put in your life, the, the classmates He's in, the parents that you're connecting with through your kids' school, uh, the, 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 the friends that you have, the family that you have, the opportunities, the hobbies, the, the gifts that He's given you. Why and how is He using that? What is His will for that in your life? And how can we live out those good works that He prepared beforehand in Christ for us to fulfill, as we read in Ephesians 2.10. Understanding His will for us, coming back to that place of wisdom, living as wise, in obedience to the Father, seeking His will and walking that out. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't go back to the foolish world. Debauchery uh, being an overindulgence in worldly pleasures. And as Pastor Scott talked about um, some of the worship that went on uh, to those idols and to those gods and, and, and this overindulgence in, in many sinful things that we won't go into, but this, this debauchery, this, this seeking it out and, and just overly indulging it. And he's saying, don't go back to that. Don't get drunk. But be filled with the Spirit. And now why this contrast, you would say? Why, why is Paul comparing being drunk and replacing that with, with the Spirit? Oftentimes when, when there's a contrast drawn in Scripture, there's, a, you know, there's some type of connection there. And so, you know, what, what's Paul going for in this? And I think here's where we go. It would have been evident back then as it is today that if you see someone who is drunk, you know it. They're walking literally in unnatural ways. They can't keep their balance. They can't put words together. They can't, you know, we've all, we've seen it or we've seen it represented again in a movie or we've seen it in real life. And, and they're, they're working and living in unnatural ways. And, and all of their inhibitions are gone, right? They're saying things that they would never say. They're doing things that they would never do. Those inhibitions have left them and literally the door is open for evil. The door is open for sin to come in. They are uninhibited towards that sin and those things in their life. And, 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 and so to be in that place of, of, of drunkenness, they're, they're living in an unnatural manner. But you see also, when someone is truly filled with the Spirit, they too live in a bit of an unnatural manner. There is joy in the midst of sorrow. There is hope in the midst of death. There is peace in the midst of turmoil. There is direction in the midst of confusion. And they live in this unnatural way. Their inhibitions are gone, not towards sin, but towards the will of the Father, and towards good, and towards His good and His kingdom here on earth. Think about the church in Acts 2 at Pentecost, right? What were they accused of? So they've gathered together, and the tongues of fire come and rest on them, and the Spirit begins to allow them to speak in the different languages of all the people represented. And, 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 it, and it creates a scene, right? And all these people gather around, and what are they accused of? They're accused of being drunk because they're living and they're acting in an unnatural manner. They're, 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 they're saying these things and doing these things, and they're saying they're drunk. Look at them. But what does Peter do? He makes the best use of the time. 
and he seizes the moment. And he stands up and he says, these guys are not drunk. It's, it's the third hour. It's, it's early in the morning. There's no new wine here. They're not drunk. This is the Spirit of God. That is how this is happening. And, and he takes the moment to share the gospel with all those who have gathered. And, and, and through the Spirit, they're all hearing it in their native languages. And they're hearing the gospel being proclaimed and understanding it. And it says on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. They thought they were drunk, but really they were finding a moment to meet with the Father, to meet with the Savior, and to hear the gospel being proclaimed, and 3,000 were saved that day. Living and being filled with the Spirit can make us act unnatural. And I want us to take just a moment and unpack that phrase, being filled with the Spirit. Every, every commentator I read uh, did the same, and, and I do think it's important that we do that, to, to understand what that meaning is, because that phrase can carry a lot of connotations and, and has been um, interpreted different ways throughout history, and even today it is. Being filled with the Spirit seems to imply that there's something we can do to get more of it. There's something we can do to get, to get more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Just, just if, I, if I'm drinking tea and, I, and the glass runs low, what do I do? I fill it up. I pour more in there. That it makes it, feel, it seem like there's a void there that needs to be filled. But that's not exactly what we're going for here. And here's why. You see, we cannot receive more of the Holy Spirit or have a special kind of worship service that is, that is Spirit-filled because we already have the Holy Spirit with us. And He inhabits our praise and our worship. If we look at Scripture, John 14, 16 and 17, John 7, 37 and 39, Ephesians 1, 3, Galatians 3, 2, all of these teach us that the Spirit indwells in every Christian and that this happens at the moment of salvation. The Spirit comes and takes up residence in our life. The Spirit comes and indwells, fills us, with His presence. And they teach us that this is not a, a, a moment or a, you get a little bit here, you get a little bit there. This is a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we give our hearts and our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides and indwells within us, done. Permanently. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. As you read in Ephesians 4.30, says, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal and a pledge of heaven and of things to come. So it's not about gaining more. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. So the believer in, in, in Christ, you're already filled with or indwelled by the Holy Spirit. What Paul's referring to here is the control or the effect that the Holy Spirit has in your life. This wise living that he has been speaking about. The Holy Spirit already indwells within us, but now it is that place of uninhabited 
submission to the Father. There are things that we hold on to that we won't let go when the Father prompts us, when the Holy Spirit moves and tries to work those things out in us. This is a daily pursuit of holiness, a daily submission to the will of God, a daily taking up our cross and following Christ. Just as a drunk man's inhibitions towards sin are gone, so the believer's inhibitions towards the Spirit are gone as well. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ and we are a new creation in Christ, we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are stuck here, and when we are redeemed, we are set free from that, but... We have the choice to return back or to hold on to that sin or to to hold on to that thing that, 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 that has been hard for us to let go. We are not bound to it. We are not stuck in it, but we can choose to go back to it. And to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit is to allow the Holy Spirit to take all of those things and we say, Father, they are yours. Because I am set free and I am here to serve you in the effect, the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives takes over. And that is where the Spirit-filled believer begins to live in unnatural manners. Because a man says, worry. The believer turns to the Father and says, what are you doing? I trust you. I have hope in you. I will walk with you. I will grow with you. In my job at the, at the school, oftentimes I'm uh, interviewing staff members. And one of the things, there's two things I always ask, or two things I look for. One thing is I always ask them to share the gospel with me in an age-appropriate manner for the, whomever they will be interacting with. So if it's a third-grade teacher, I say, share the gospel with me as if I was a third-grader. I just came in from chapel we talked about Jesus. Now share with me, you know, what would you say to that third grader? If it's a, a ninth grade teacher, share with me as a, as a student and listen to where their understanding of the gospel. When can they bring that to the level of a student? Do they understand the gospel? Do they live the gospel in their own lives that they can share that with others? But then the other thing that I'm always looking for is, is, is this phrase that I kind of keep in my head and it's, do they ooze Jesus? It sounds kind of weird. But the idea being that are, are, are they really in that place of being filled with the Spirit that everything that they talk about comes back to the Lord? Are there spontaneous moments of praise? Are there, are there, are there stories of trust? Are there, are there examples of where the, the, the Scriptures have directed their conversation or directed their decisions? Are there, are there moments of, of, of stepping out in faith that, that are just a part of who they are? And is the Spirit really allowed and free to be working in their life? Is Jesus just a piece of their everyday? Not just a piece, but is, is Jesus uh, really at the forefront of their everyday? And are they going to teach that way to our students? Are they going to have those same conversations with kids on the playground? Are they going to ooze Jesus onto the lives of these students and into the lives of the parents as they are ministering to them through education and discipleship? Looking for that place of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and His control and His work in their life. It's moving. Because you see, this is it. This is where that full life in Jesus abounds. This is what it's about. 
when we can give ourselves over and we can trust the Father, we can trust that He is good and that He is working and we can turn away from those things and say, God, you can have the sin. I want you. This is where the full life resides for the believer. This is where that adventure that we go on in glory, that adventure in the kingdom of God as He uses us, this is where it abounds. This is where grace abounds. This is where hope abounds. This is where peace abounds. This is how we live that life. And it's exciting to be in that place. And yes, we may drift back over. There may be a sin in our life. There may be a pride. There may be something that we're holding on to and God has to pry it from our hands. And that's okay. Because none of us are at that place of perfection. None of us are sitting next to the Father in heaven yet. And so we still fight those battles. But the Spirit-filled believer allows the Father to come and battle in those things and allows the cross of Christ to stand as their strength and as their victory. And we walk in that life with Christ. Paul then moves on to give some examples of what this being filled with the Spirit looks like. And at first he says, we should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. One writer that I was reading said, well, this proves the early church was a singing church. And I thought to myself, I I think he's missed it just a little bit here. I don't think uh, the spiritual church, the the early church was a musical, right? My wife hates musicals. And so I told her yesterday, I said, man, if that was the case, you would not go to church, right? Because you would walk in and be greeted by everybody talking to each other and, and singing to each other. And then suddenly breaking out into the choreographed dance that suddenly everybody knows the the, the steps to, right? That, that's not what he's going for, that the early church was, was this musical and this singing church where they only spoke in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yes, music is a part of worship. I, I hope so. It's what, I, what we do, right? Um, music is a part. These psalms, these hymns, these spiritual songs, these, the, the, these, these, these scriptural places where David and, and the other psalmists cry out, these, these hymns that are that are given to bring glory to God and these, these spiritual songs, these, these spontaneous moments of praise that arise and these songs that are sung, they are a very big part of worship of the Father. And God has given the gift. God has put a song in the heart of many people. And God has, has called those to write those songs and others to sing them that they can, can, can in, um, enhance our worship as we give back to the Father. But if you think about each one of these things and the role that they played and, 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 and we see in the, in the psalmist's life, what are those really doing? They're giving praise. They're giving honor. They're giving glory back to God. The psalmist, even in the midst of, of all of his, his things that are going on, there's that point where he turns. And he returns back to either declaring his faith in the Father and, and where he will stand and how he'll help him conquer or giving Him glory or praise. And, 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 and so, this speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is really coming back to that, that oozing Jesus. It's really coming back to that we interact, and in the midst of our interaction with one another, our hearts are open and our, and our, and to, to the praise of the Father and to giving Him glory. And, and in the midst of that, we return to thanksgiving. We return to giving God glory. And that the church's believers speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is that yes, we're singing at points, but really that our hearts and our minds and our lips are full of praise, are full of adoration as we live 
as wise children of God. So they address one another with praise to the Father. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now I believe this is another proof that God did not call the church to be a musical because He didn't give everybody the gift to singing, right? Some people know that that is not their gift and that's okay. That's all right. Sing as loud as you want in service, it's okay, but you're probably not going to be asked to come up and lead a special song or, or, or to be on the worship team, but that's okay because God didn't give everybody that gift and that's all right, but, but the Spirit-filled believer, even the most tone-deaf believer, can have a beautiful song in their heart that is sung back to the Father when the Holy Spirit is the composer. And so we, the church is addressing one another in, 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 in praise to the Father and how they're speaking to each other. And in each believer's life and in their heart, there is a song of praise being sung to the Father. And it's not about what does my voice sound like coming out, but what is my heart, the depths of who I am is their praise. The depths of who I am is their glory being given to the Father. And he says the Spirit-filled believer as they've turned away from sin and God has worked those things of the Holy Spirit out of their life and is leading them in the wisdom of Him and in, in His will and in His way everlasting, praise will arise. So the Spirit-filled believer, tone deaf or not, can bring a joyful noise and a beautiful song to the Father from their heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As one commentator writes, where the Spirit reigns, or the Spirit-filled life, there is gratitude to God, a deep sense of appreciation, and a spontaneous expression of it. It is not occasional, but continual, not only for the pleasant things, but for all things. Anyone can be thankful for sunshine. It takes the power of the Spirit to be thankful for the storms of life. Mm. well said well said the spirit filled believer knows that God is working for his good and working for the glory of him in all things the glory of God in all things and the believer trusts the father's will and the spirit's leading for strength for perseverance and it is that which enables their tongues and their hearts to give praise even in the midst of the storms. Casting Crowns is a great song, I'll praise you in the storm, right? You think about those lyrics, you think about what they're saying there, and that's the heart of the Spirit-filled believer. The God, even when the storm is raging around and I don't know what's going on, I will praise you. I will praise you for what you're doing and that I know you are good and I know that you're working. There's a, another song by a group called Brian and Katie Twelve. that says, I'll praise you for the breakthrough even before it's come, even before the, the pressure has been relieved, I will praise you because I know that it's coming. I know that you are working. And I know that on the other end of this, and it may not be till heaven, there is good for you and for your glory and for your kingdom coming out of this. And so I'll praise you and I'll give you thanks. Giving thanks to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the Spirit-filled believers are those who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This does not mean that we're doormats 
getting walked all over and not having a backbone or not willing to take a stand. There are times when we need to stand for what is right. There are times when we need to stand for what is true. Be it with another believer, we get instruction on that, or be it in the, in the world and standing against those things and, and carrying the gospel into those places to bring the light of Christ into the darkness. There are times that we need to stand. This idea of submitting to one another is, is the idea that we read about in Romans 12 when he says, work to do what you can to live peaceably among men. To have this attitude of humility, this spirit of humbleness, the spirit for a believer is not working for his or her own glory, but for God's. Putting God's will first and thinking of others and loving them with His patience and grace and putting their good above our own as Christ did as He went to the cross for us. This is the idea of submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. We lead with gentleness and with love. Charles Erdman, a a pastor, sums it up well and he writes it this way concerning this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He said, it is a phrase too often neglected. It names a test of spirituality which Christians too seldom apply. Many persons feel that shouts of hallelujah and exalting songs and the utterance of praise and more or less unknown tongues are all proofs of being filled with the Spirit. These all may be spurious and deceitful without meaning. Submission to our fellow Christians. Modesty of demeanor. Humility unwillingness to dispute, forbearance, gentleness, such mutual, uh, these are the unmistakable proofs of the Spirit's power. Such mutual submission to their fellow Christians should be rendered in the fear of Christ, that is, in reverence to Him who is recognized as the Lord and Master of all. The Spirit-filled believer is one who, who I, I, I love the word choices he has there, who has a modesty in their demeanor, who, who, who walks around in, in humility, not in, oh, you're all better than me, but in, Father, what are you bringing into here and what is my role to play? And how do I love these fellow Christians? How do I walk alongside of my brothers and sisters in you? And how do we encourage one another? How do I have a, 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 a modest demeanor and, and be unwilling to dispute over this, the, the unnecessary things? How do I put my pride aside and walk in encouragement with one another, submitting to, the, to one another in love, in forbearance and gentleness. So we see Paul giving us this, this call to, to inspect our lives, to look carefully at how we live. To live as wise and not as foolish to live in pursuit of the things of the Father, to seek His wisdom, to, to, to live in fear of His commands, in reverence and respect of the Father and who He is, and to not pursue the things of this world. To look carefully at our own lives and to say, Father, search me and know me. Spirit, You are within me now. Come and, and fill me with the knowledge of You and work and do what You are what you're wanting to do in my life, that I may better serve the kingdom, that I may better live that which God has called me to live, that I may better do and fulfill that which God has called and created me to do. So as we take time this week, as we go into our quiet times, let us take the time with the Father to seek His wise counsel 
in every area of our lives. Let us work daily to remove those barriers we've put up toward the Holy Spirit's reign over us. And may we seek to glorify God. May we seek to spread the gospel and to do the kingdom work as we strive to live each day as Spirit-filled believers. Singing and giving praise and thanks to God as we submit ourselves to one another in attitudes of grace and reverence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.